All right, I'm very, very glad this morning to welcome Mark to come and uh, preach for us this morning. Mark van Straten, welcome to our church, welcome to our service. Just a little bit about Mark. Um, apparently, Mark started his preaching career when he was at school back in the day, which is quite impressive. Um, that's quite a long preaching career, Mark. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> what, about 15 years ago, hey? Yeah. More or less. Last week. <laughs> After completing school, he attended Bible college, and he and Christine, who's also joined us today, Mark's better half, thanks to Christine for joining us, he and Christine started a church at Empagani, stayed there for about 10 years, and after 10 years, the two of them started another church called Grace Family Church, and with 20 other people. Now, many of you might know Grace Family Church at Mshlonga, that massive church that is, as you go down, what's the Ocean Drive, it's called? Um, what's that street? Drive. That one. And there's a big church on your right there. And Mark and Christine were, were, have been used over God, by God for many years. There's five campuses. And so, in a very real sense, God has blessed these guys' ministry in a, in a very real way. And we're super privileged to have them with us today. Um, Mark now serves there at Grace Family Church as the, as the founding pastor. That's the title. I'm sure you'll just touch on that a little bit later. He's a bit of an athlete. He's done the Comrades a couple of times. He's a, um, a surfer. A very He's good surfer. Very good surfer. Okay, very good surfer. <laughs> no, no, actually a brilliant surfer. <laughs> Is it okay? No, yeah. A brilliant surfer. Um, he's a licensed pilot. Mark and Christine have got been married for 40 years, which I think is an incredible achievement in this day and age. Congratulations. They have three daughters, two grandchildren, another one arriving in about a month's time, which I'm sure you're super excited about, and his daughter and son-in-law are both in full-time service at Grace Family Church. Um, Mark's going to be speaking about being human, and I was in the first service and was really challenged and intrigued by what Mark was saying. I really think you've got a real blessing ahead of you. Mark, thank you for being here. Thanks, Richard. Welcome to our pulpit. Enjoy. Relax and enjoy. God bless. Thank you very much. Thanks, Richard. Well, it's a delight to be here. I just need to correct one or two things from Richard's lovely introduction. I'm a lapsed pilot. I'm no longer a pilot. You've got to be a millionaire to do that. And then secondly, we've been married 42 years. Please please don't rob us of the two years, brother. It's been hard work. In fact, it hasn't. It's actually been plain sailing all 42 years. It really has been. I mean, we, when we got married, we decided that um, all major decisions will be mine and all minor decisions will be Christine's. And in 42 years, we've never had one major decision. So it's just, just going really, really well. But it, <laughs> it's a delight to be here for those of you online. I'm so glad you can be joining us. Uh, by now, you've had your morning coffee and you're almost ready for a snack. So go ahead. The rest of us will just fast and have discipline and pay attention to uh, the great surfing pastor. So uh, it really is, I'm, I'm delighted to have a wonderful time this morning, and it's really great. For those of you who are fathers, happy Father's Day. I'm a father, as you uh, heard Richard say, I have three daughters, but they, they grow in the adult, 37, 35, and I think 31, um, and I have uh, three, two grandsons. Uh, nine and seven, and then one on the way, as, as Richard said, a little bit later this, this month, in July, in fact. Next July, uh, he's coming along, a little boy. We haven't been privileged to his name, uh, our unborn grandson, so we've decided to call him Nebuchadnezzar, which I think is a great name for a grandson. 
We've shortened down to NEBS, but I'm sure we'll be corrected to that later on. So yeah, um, this morning as we kind of celebrate Father's Day, what I want to just share with you is not directly a message to fathers, or hopefully it's all-encompassing. And it's a little bit about a journey that Christine and I have been on in the last few years, but um, maybe this morning some of what I want to share with you will, will you, you relate to, you'll identify with too, there'll be some kind of hot response to what we're going to be speaking about. But before I do, as, as Richard said, if I was going to give a title to the sermon, I would call it Being Human. And I, I'm, I, me and my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is 87 years old, and we both enjoy video clips of people falling. Um, I don't know if you ever watched some of that stuff. There's a, thing, there's a great uh, sort of website called uh, Fail Army, and there's another one which I follow on Instagram called Morons Doing Things. And I realize that all of these people have fathers, and they're all human beings. So I put a little clip together that is a um, little bit of the, 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 the human beings who aren't doing things so well and those who are fantastic. There's another website called um, Great Humans or something. It'll be up on there. So let's, let's roll that, that video. But we, the reason why I show you that is because, I mean, we, we, humanity, we, 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 come, we come in all different shapes and sizes, different skills and abilities. Some people have less skills and abilities than others. But, but this morning, as I, as I kind of want to speak about what it means to be human, I just want to talk a little bit about the journey that, 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 that we've been on, and, and maybe what more so I mean in this case, in, in, in many sense, Christine has shared that journey with me. And, um, and it really is a result of, of kind of these decisions, these moments in life. I'm sure we all agree, we all reach these milestones. Uh, when you get married, when Christine and I got married, we were married 42 years, we were young. When I asked her to marry me, she said, yes, please. And uh, it's a dad joke. In fact, it's her father's joke that I'm still telling you 100 years later. But anyway, you know, it was a wonderful day in our lives. When we, our children were born, it was just one of those moments. Uh, the choices we've made, decisions we've made, and cities that we've lived in, uh, things that we've done and things that you've done, they kind of become defining moments. Most of life is made up of a series of small decisions and moments and routines and rituals of life. But every now and again, we, we reach a significant crossroad. And for, for Christine and I, that crossroad became uh, about six or seven years ago, five or six years ago, sometimes I lose perspective, that we, as uh, Richard said, we had started this church in Durban. And, uh, and we knew, I knew from the day I started that there would be a day in which I would uh, leave the role of being one of the senior pastors of, of Grace Family Church. I knew that day was going to come because God told me in the scripture in Zechariah that this would be a time in my life. And so I knew it was coming. And, and, uh, and I really sensed that that day was upon us. But my concern was, what am I going to do when I leave this role as a, as a senior pastor of grace? What, what's my next mission? Because I didn't feel like that my day had been done. Uh, Simon Sinek talks about the, the fact that we, we have this, this, this limited space, a finite world and an infinite world. And in the finite world, in the finite space, there's beginning and end. It's like a soccer game. There's a starting, there's a set of rules, there's an end, and there's a winner at the end of it, or a loser at the end of it. But in the infinite game, the infinite game of life, there aren't so many clear rules. There aren't clear winners and losers. And the infinite game is about, in a sense, the, the, the evolution, the process of, of, of humanity, the way in which we as a, as, as, as a world, as a, as a space are moving forward. So for me, I knew the finite game was going to be leading this church. And, and it's been a joy. It, it, it has a, a wonderful story attached to it. And we're so excited that we've shared this story with so many people around 
around the, the, the place. But I knew there was coming an end, but I, my, my wondering was, what's next after that? And so this morning, that's what I want to just speak a little bit about this moment. These, there were kind of these three intersections of, of our journey, of our story that, that really kind of launched a new sense of mission, something fresh in my own heart that, that made me excited about leaving my role as the senior pastor at Grace or the co-senior pastor in the last few years into a different role. And so I want to share that with you in, in these pivotal paths. And I really pray this morning that as I go into these, these three kind of events, paths that they kind of intersect with one another and, and how the impact that it's had upon me, that, that something inside of you will resonate, that something will catch within your own heart around some of these things. And, and so my invitation, my ask of you this morning is to say, God, what might you be saying in my life? What, what, what in the next few minutes is it that God wants to do in your life as, as we kind of share this story together? So, so as I get into the story, it was like, I'm still in the middle of the stuff. I haven't got this figured out yet. And so, uh, and, and, and as much as I've been speaking about it and thinking about it and, 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 ex, and trying to live in this space that I'm going to share with you, um, I still feel like I don't always articulate it well. Like I don't get it clearly and express it well. So I hope you can catch the heart of what, of what God is, is doing and, and maybe will do in your hearts and lives as well. So the first of these three things is the whole creation story, the, the Genesis story, the beginning of, of things. And whatever our point of view is about the book of Genesis, it nevertheless does give us a clear description of, of, of what I think is in the heart and the mind of God. And, and in, in, in Genesis chapter 1 and uh, verse 26, the, the word reads, the Bible says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Let us make man in our image, human beings, in our image, to be like us. I tell you, there's so much loaded into those verses, into those scriptures there, and so much theological meat right there, but I've always wondered what that meant. What does it mean to have been created in the image of God? He goes on, or the scriptures go on in verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's interesting that the word created appears three times in one little section. That God creates this, this space for these human beings. And, um, and so it kind of raises the question, what does the image of God look like? What is the image of God? If we have been created in his image, how is it that we look? What is, and I've heard messages on this and studies on this and I've I've read messages and given sermons about this stuff, and, and, and it still remains pretty elusive in some senses, and yet, on another level, it's, it's, very, it's very easy to grasp this image of God thing. It kind of sits in these two tensions. It's, it's, this, it's kind of, uh, that, that, that we can hold these tensions in, in, in suspension, and we can kind of wrestle with two opposing thoughts of complexity and simplicity, and we kind of find ourselves in the middle of that stuff. If it makes you feel a little un uncomfortable, that's okay. Because uncomfortableness, is that a word? It, it kind of creates the, the questions of, of, of meaning and of purpose and of substantial life. So I've kind of wondered, what does it look like? Does God ever, you know, what is he? Who is he? What does he look like? Well, he says we are created in his image. So I've kind of been wrestling with that for many years. And then in the midst of all of this kind of discovery of what it means to be a human being, 
created in the image of God. What does it mean to live out the image of God as a human being? To be created in His image. What does it mean? I came across this statement 40 years ago, probably 38 years ago to be specific. My governor, Al Bernard, a, a pastor out of New York, and, and he was preaching at the Rhema conference, and I watched that conference on videotape. Remember videotape? Ask your granny, he'll, she'll tell you what videotape is. And I watched this thing on video, VHS, and um, he made this statement in, this, in the message. And I heard, 38 years ago, I heard this statement being made, and during this last season, it's kind of come back to me, this, this statement. He said, we're not human beings seeking to perfect the spiritual experience, but rather spiritual beings seeking to perfect the human experience. I didn't fully grasp it when I first heard it, but I know that when I heard it for the first time, it resonated deeply with me. It sounded right. It sounded true. And it kind of connected me to those Genesis verses. So when I rediscovered that, 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 that statement just a couple of years ago, I went and did a little bit more research, and I found out that a guy, a French philosopher, a French priest, in fact, by the name of Pierre Talot de Chardin, is accredited with actually coming up with this. There are a few people who apparently have said it, but apparently he gets the credit. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But anyway, this is what he said. You're not a human being in search of a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being immersed in a human experience. And so much of my life, my Christianity has been the pursuit of a spiritual experience to become more spiritual. And it seems this kind of so, well, what does that mean? What does it look like to be more spiritual? What does spirituality look like? And go to a Christian book room and you find a book on spirituality. It goes from here to here. I mean, we've hundreds of, and, and I love the fact that there's, there's so much because it's, it's so massive. It's so weighty, this whole thing of spirituality, isn't it? At the same time, when I read this, this, this quote just lit me up again because I realized that, that God doesn't just want me to have a spiritual experience. He wants me to, to be immersed by the human experience. I mean, I thought to myself, it, it's, it, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? If God wanted me to have a spiritual experience, then why didn't he live, put me in a spiritual world? Why am, I, why am I in this natural world? Why did he create such diversity in this world of, of, of deserts and, 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 and forests and jungles and ice caps and mountains and oceans and all the stuff, the splendor of our world, if it had no function and no purpose, it had, that its purpose was simply there so that one day I could go to heaven? Was that the goal? Was the goal of my Christianity to go to heaven? I mean, this may sound pretty mercenary this morning, but if you just really think about it objectively, if the goal of salvation is heaven, then one of the best gifts we can give to people when they give their hearts to Jesus is the gift of heaven. Yes? Just shoot them. So you make an appealing church, all the heads bowed, eyes closed, those who want to give their hearts to Jesus, raise their hands, pray this prayer, they pray the prayer, you're now born again. Now listen, I grew up with a lot of that theology as a child, as a young pastor, preacher, that we get people because we don't want anybody to go to hell, we want them to go to heaven, right? Well, that's not the goal, that's the outcome. We, that's what happens to us, to, to be absent in the body, to be present with the Lord. I believe it, I hope, our, our glorious hope, that this body's in decay. Not so much this one. <laughs> it's getting older. 
It needs to get up in the night, sometimes several times. This body. You know, and there's another body waiting for me. Absolutely. But in the meantime, do I just tread water? Do I just wait for that day to come when I will be like him, when I see him as he is? Is that the mission on earth is to wait for that? In the meantime, we're going to sing songs and the prophecies and just do little huddles with each other. I've been around a long time in church work, so if there's a little bit of cynicism that keeps through there, please forgive me. No, the goal of our spirituality is to have, have this human experience. What does that mean, to have oneness with God? God says, I want to create human beings in my image. I want to create them one with me. To be created in the image of God means to have oneness with each other. They were connected. He didn't say, I'm going to create human beings, Adam. He created human beings, Adam and Eve. He created them. Paul talks about it. He says, the mystery of oneness. Oneness is a mystery. Read what Jesus prayed in the John 17 prayer. He said that there may be one even as we are one. Oneness is not singleness. Oneness, you can't have, you can't have oneness is different to singleness. Oneness you cannot have on your own. You have to have more than one to be one. Hey, You should write that down. Tweet it. Instagram it, Facebook it, you know, whatever you want to do with it. That's the truth. Oneness is that we have oneness with each other. And then thirdly, oneness is about, about living a generative life. God says to Adam and Eve, he has a garden. It flourishes, multiplies. It's going to feed you. It's going to keep you, sustain you. And you're going to show that it generates after its own all the time. And at the fall, at the, what happens at the fall? They lose oneness with God. They lose oneness with each other. And they lose oneness with the creation. Nothing's changed. And the mission, the mission is to return to that union, to that oneness, to that being human in this human space. That's what it means to be the image of God. Man, I've been excited working through this stuff. It's kind of just, it's kind of just like, <clears throat> if you press me, that's what I've got to do. That's why on Father's Day they asked me to do me, to come and preach. They never said, speak about fathers. I, I spoke about the thing that when you press me, that comes out of me. The third event, the first event was the discovery of, of, um, of those Genesis scriptures. The second event was the discovery of that, that quote. And the third event was an, an incident that happened to me in an airport. Christina had been saving for, for months to do a particular trip. And we were going overseas and we were going through Johannesburg International Airport. And um, we had checked our bags in. And then we went to this kind of immigration period. It was a hot December day and it was... The air condition was fairly efficient in the check-in place and it would be fairly efficient in the, the departure lounge. But in that space between where you stand in a long line and you get your passport stamped, it was hot and muggy. And, uh, and I, I do what I do in those situations. I see where I am in the queue and I look at how many people are stamping passports, how many officials are there, and how many people are, and I count the queue. And then I timed how long it takes for each passport to get stamped and I average it out, and I work out that we're 35 in the line. That we're going to be here for 17 minutes. And you know what? Most of the time I'm right. <laughs> and I'm busy doing that. I'm busy working it out. I know it sounds weird. I'm one of those people. You come to the toll gate, I want the short one. I figure it out. Which, which is which toll. I don't want to get there or check out. I mean, I can't believe there are people still in this planet that when they get to a toll booth, it comes as a surprise to them. 
Now they're looking for their money. They warned you. The price, everything. You get your money before you get to the toll gate, right? And you land behind, you get to the shortest queue, and you realize what's short is because some oak is scratching there. Then he drops his ticket, he's got to open the door, get out. Meantime, the oak was way behind you, has now gone past, and you've got to overtake him. Okay, that's me. All right. So, so I'm working this thing out, and I'm kind of get, figuring it out, and, and, I, and I hear a whisper in my heart. I hear, this doesn't happen to me frequently, but I heard God say to me, hey, Mark, do you want to see me? And I'm like, no, I'm busy now, just counting people and doing stuff. No. I said, yes. Lord, what do you mean? Well, I want to see you. He said, do you want to see me? I felt very clearly in my heart in this queue while I'm distracted by this crowd. And I feel like I said, yes, God, I want to see you. He said, take a look around. And I, and I start looking at who's in the line. And I see basically a microcosm of the, of, of the planet. People from all over the world. People who dress differently to me, who talk differently to me, who look differently to me, who probably believe differently to me. There was such a diversity of people in this, in this one section. And he said, each one of these people have been created in my image. Every one of them are an image bearer of who I am. And when you see them, you see me. It was a profound moment of my, my life. I know it, it's pretty obvious. I know that. But in that moment, I realized not everybody's living the image of God out of their lives. I know there are many people who are doing many different things that alienate them from others and from God and from purpose. But it doesn't change the fact that their original design, their original DNA, the very essence of who they are, there's something of God in every single human being on the face of the earth. It's the thing that distinguishes us from all other created things. A sense of self-awareness, a sense of conscience, a sense of right and wrong. We don't live purely by instinct. We live on purpose. We have the power of decision-making and all this kind of stuff. It's just flooding through my heart. And I say, God, every time I look into the eyes of a fellow human being, I'm seeing something of God in that person. And so this kind of begins to mesh together these three things into this sense of purpose, this sense of mission that we can be immersed in the human experience and be connected to one another. And that the challenge of faith is not merely about a a journey to heaven, but the challenge of faith is a journey in a way, the prayer that Jesus prayed of heaven to earth, of the reign of God's kingdom in the hearts and lives of people. That people will will know what it means to be connected to something divine or someone divine. That people will find it comfortable to be connected to something that is transcendent, that is beyond them. I mean, the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about the fact that eternity has been deposited in our hearts. We somehow know there's more. As much as we attempt to rationalize and not to believe, there is in most of humanity an essence. That somehow we know we are connected to each other. There's a union. There's a, as much as we experience uh, opposition and division and strife, there's a longing for, for connection. And as long as we own those places, we know there's a place. There's a, there's a thing of, of my meaning. My me- what, what gives me meaning in my life? And it's a generative purpose. Sometimes to help understand, and as I said earlier, I, I, I'm sometimes trying to wrestle in how I communicate this because 
because for me some of this has been pretty, I mean, this is, this is like, a, it's like a lifetime thing for me right now. You know what I mean? So one of the ways of describing it is what it means to be not human. So I, I actually call the source saying there's, a, there's, there's being human and there's being unhuman. And I realize there is actually a word called unhuman. It's different from inhumane. And, and, and I kind of have redefined it in my own heart what it means to be unhuman. And what it means to be unhuman is when somebody is racist, they're not being human. They're being unhuman. When someone is being elitist, they're not being human, they're being unhuman. When someone is being religious, you know what religion is, hey? It's being better than somebody else's spirituality. <laughs> Don't be a fast. How long did you fast? Two days. Was it a water fast? Did you drink coffee and liquids? Oh no, I did like soups and that. Oh no, that's not a fast. That's not really a fast. A real fast is water. I've done water fasts. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> hey? Have you noticed some people have like, like, like special prayers? I grew up with, dear Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for the mighty hand of God upon this place. God, this building's going to shake any minute now. We have this kind of thing. That's not being human. That's, that's being something else, unhuman. We're threatened when people are anti-immigrants, when, they are, when politicians are dividing to divide and rule, set one up against the other. They're not behaving in a human way. They're behaving in an unhuman way. Why? Because they, what it means to be unhuman is about separation. Unhuman is about disconnection. Unhuman is about division. This is the stuff that brings people apart from one another. And no better place than social media to be unhuman on. I mean, let's just find somebody who's against something and let them join me as we slam. I mean, I was watching some of the um, surfing at the, at the wave pool at, at, of Kelly Slater in the middle of the desert right now. The World Surfing League is having a competition there. And I read the comments on the YouTube thing, and everybody's saying, this isn't surfing, and this isn't that, and this is when they're And I'm like, why are you guys watching this stuff? Nobody's said to you, you've got to look at it. If you think it's rubbish, go have a look at some other YouTube video of Morons doing things. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot you could do. But it seems like one of the ways that I can show that I'm right is by pointing out other people's wrongs. It's unhuman. Unhuman leads to inhumane. When we're unhuman, we become inhumane, and inhumane, inhumanity becomes around cruelty and destruction. And these three, and there are three kind of focuses of our unhumanness. Be disconnected from God to be disconnected from each other, and to be disconnected from some generative meaning of life. Why am I here? These type of things. So how do we become human? Well, it's quite simple. <laughs> God knew that there would be a battle for us to become human and behave in, a, in, in, in a, a human way. So what he did was he came to us in the form of Jesus. The Bible reminds us that Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is God made manifest so that you and I can connect to the divine, that we can be once again reunited with, with our Father. We can have His Spirit bearing witness with our spirits that we call Him Daddy, Father, intimate. Now I can be connected to, 
to something that is transcendent, to something that is beyond the explanation. Listen to me. If you could explain where God came from, He would cease to be God. The very essence of God is it is unexplainable. When people try to explain God, they don't get Him. He's unexplainable. You don't even have to try to explain God. He simply is. That's what He said to Abraham. That's what He said to Moses. Moses said, who shall I say sin? Moses said, tell him I am. Jesus was asked, who are you? He said, I am. I mean, he just is. And if that doesn't wear well with you, join the club. He doesn't change. The guy says to me, Mark, I don't believe in God. He doesn't change anything. Your belief in God doesn't make him exist or cease to exist. He simply is. And most of humanity will agree, there's something inside me that is, that is true to that. And Jesus becomes the connection. Jesus becomes the one who manifests this God. Jesus becomes God in the flesh so that you and I can connect, so we can be reunited, recreated as to how original it should be so that we can live the full human experience. Jesus has come to provide that for us. Jesus has come in a way that we can find love in one another. Jesus has come that we can find mission and, and purpose for life and meaning in our lives. And so when we act kindly, and somebody acts kindly, we see a manifestation of God. When we see somebody act graciously and forgivingly, and, and, and somebody who extends grace to somebody else, it's God living amongst us. And it connects us to one another. And we can follow after God. We can pursue one another because His Spirit is dwelling inside of us. The redeeming Spirit of God opens our eyes that we can see stuff that we never saw before. We can realize stuff about our lives that we've never seen before because He can shine His light into the very essence of who we are, into our attitudes and our behaviors. And we are shaped and changed and we are formed by God's Spirit in us so that we can experience humanity and we can live alive in this world on the way to the next. Instead of just trying to, you know, I'm one of those guys. I've had to learn that if I'm going from here to, to like Cape Town, I just want the fastest route. You know what I mean? I used to tell the kids, go for a toilet break now. Dad, I don't need it. I'm not asking whether you need it. But do it. Because when we get that car going, the next time we stop is for petrol. When we have petrol stops, we order ahead. What do you want? Hamburger? Okay. Just don't mess in Dad's car. You know what I mean? Stop while the oak's filling up petrol. You're in the loo. You're getting what you need to get because when it's finished petrol, we're out of here again. I, I, I'm, you know, enjoy the journey. No ways. It's the goal. Some of us are living life like that. You know what I mean? When actually that is the life. It is the journey. It is what it means to be human, to be kind, to be considerate, to build faith. And God begins to do that through His Spirit and we see miracles unfolding. In a sense, the prayer that we pray is not the prayer that says, Lord, make me more spiritual, but the prayer that we pray is, let your spirit move in me to make me more human. That's the prayer that we pray. So here's my ask. Here's my ask as I finish off this morning. As an ex-pilot, when a, when a pastor says that, then you're going to ask if he's going to do what they call bumps and circuits. Because pastor, preachers use that as a technique to wake people up. Let me say in closing, if, oh, thank God he's going to finish but all he's doing is going to land the plane and take off and go do another lap. 
And here's my ask. Let's live connected to God. Let the union that has come in Christ Jesus and by the presence of the power of His Spirit live in this union with God and discover what it means to be at one with Him. To find that we can deal with our shame and we can deal with our, our stuff and in the midst of who He is, we can find healing and forgiveness. Let's live connected to one another. Let's find grace in everybody and everything that we do in life with people that we're doing it with. It's so easy to see what's wrong. I have a gift of suspicion. I have a gift of, of the ability to point out the wrongs of others. I really do. It's like I just know. I mean, especially when I was younger. Then I knew, when I was a pastor of 24, I knew why people got divorced, why they were struggling with their kids. I just had answers. A little more confused now as a, as a, as a vulnerable. You know, I've been vaccinated because I'm in the vulnerable group. It's really cool. Um, a little confused. And that we can live in harmony with our world in which we live with the people. We don't have to judge people who are different, whose sexual orientation is not what you think it should be, whose point of view on politics is not as you think it would be, whose view of life of Christian is not as what you would have it to be. You know, your job in life is to, is to, is to welcome and to love people. <laughs> and maybe they're going to ask you why. You can be gracious even though you're different. Uh, it's always in a, in a lovely space. And then to live generally with our world. To have a worldview that says there's not just a scarcity mentality. We don't just get caught up in the capitalism of our world that thrives on lack and fear. Not enough. Better get more. More will make me happier. That, that we find that, that my life can be abundant. It can mean something to somebody else's life. I want to invite us into that space this morning to live as human beings, to live as those who are created in God's image. As spiritual beings, we have this witness of God in us. And to figure it out in our day-to-day -day lives, finding meaning and purpose and generativeness. Amen. Thanks, Richard.